Well, if you're visiting with us, I want to welcome you again in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a delight to be here and to be able to preach, especially this particular passage today. We're going to be in John chapter 17, um, finishing off a um, finishing off a little mini series um, called "Who Am I." And this particular series, we have looked at the reality of Christ as the Son of God and ultimately has wounded up into bringing us into being children of God. And so if you have your Bibles, we will be in John chapter 17, verses 20 to 26. So the late actor Robin Williams said this, I think the saddest people always try their hardest to make people happy because they know what it's like to feel absolutely worthless and they don't want anyone else to feel like that. You know, many people use phrases to describe themselves like worthless, not good enough, unlovable, or even broken to describe themselves. Why? The truth of the matter is that people view themselves this way because they are broken. I'm broken. And so when things are broken, they need what? To be fixed. Jesus came to do this. He came to make us whole and new. He came to tell and to show us who he has made us to be. And so today we're going to see from John 17 to 26, 20 to 26, what Jesus and the Father think about you who you really are, and how they want us to view ourselves and how they want us to live. You see, we are full-fledged children of God who are loved with a perfect and infinite love because of our union with Christ. So let me get a little bit of context for you before we dig into the text. So it's the night before Jesus will be put to death on the cross. Jesus' disciples have just celebrated the Passover with him, and Jesus has given them these very important final words in John chapters 13 to 16. And these words we call the farewell discourse. Now, they've learned in these passages the importance of abiding in Christ and how the world will hate them because they are witnesses to him. And now we get a glimpse of what Jesus really thinks, how Jesus really feels, and what Jesus really wants. Because we get a glimpse into a prayer from Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You ever imagine, this is a prolonged prayer that we get to peer into the mind and heart of Jesus Christ himself. And so, in John 17, verses 1 to 5, Jesus prays that he would be glorified by the Father. In verses 6 to 11, Jesus prays for his disciples. He prays for them because they belong to the Father. They bring him glory, and he's about to leave them. And then because of this, he prays that the Father would protect them. In verses 11 to 16, and then in 17 to 19, that, the, that they would be sanctified. And so now, in this particular passage we are looking at, he prays for all believers that they would be one, in verses 20 to 23, and to be perfected to see his glory. That's in verses 24 to 26. But let's read John chapter 17, 
verses 20 to 26. This is the word of the Lord. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. The grass withers, the flower it fades, but the word of our God is forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Let me pray. Father, as we enter into really the most holy place, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, your Son, Father, praying to you, and you have allowed the veil to be torn away so that we could have access to you and pray, but we get to peer into the heart of Jesus Christ for us. Your heart, Father, for us. And I ask now that if any here are distant from you and do not understand the love of which Jesus Christ speaks, that you would turn their hearts, change hearts of stone to flesh, And for those who know you, would you allow them to abide deeper in Christ so that they may know this love even more fully than they do in this moment. I praise you, and we ask that you would lead us and guide us and help us to worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen. So before I dig into the heart of this passage, I want us to see something in verse 20. It's actually quite marvelous. It says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe me through their word. Have you come to know God through the scriptures and through people preaching the gospel message? If so, this prayer is for you because you've come to believe through the word of the disciples, which was inscripturated, and others were called and preached, and you heard that preaching and believed. And so Jesus is praying for you. Isn't that cool? For you, right now, this prayer is for you. Jesus is praying to the Father for all Christians of all time. This was written for you and me. For anyone who believes in Jesus through the disciples' word. And so what is it to believe in the disciples' word? It is to entrust yourself with complete confidence in Jesus through the disciples' word, that which they taught and wrote in Scripture, which is the gospel or the good news. And what is that? That Jesus Christ took on flesh. He lived. He died. 
He was buried. He rose again. And he ascended to heaven. And he adopted you to be children of God. That's the good news. But what is Jesus really asking for in the rest of this passage? Verse 21 continues, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Don't let these words go by you fast. Jesus is asking that we and all Christians would live and act as one. He asked that we would exercise such unity that it would look like the unity of the Father and the Son. The Father being of the Father being in the Son and the Son being in the Father. Jesus wants all Christians to be both in the Father and the Son for the purpose of the world to believe that the Father sent Jesus Christ to reconcile us and all who believe in him. This reality of the Father being in the Son and the Son being in the Father and us being in the Son is so marvelous that it escapes words to be able to understand it. Jesus Christ, the hope of glory living in you. Jesus in the Father, meaning that the Father and the Son are in you, and we already know that the Scriptures teach that the Holy Spirit is in us. You have the entire triune God living in you if you've believed. That, what can you do but worship? God in you, the hope of glory. Why do you think Paul prays all the time that you might be filled with the fullness of God? Because we don't understand that, and we need to understand it. That's why he prays in Ephesians 3 that you might know the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for you so that you would be filled with the fall of fullness of God. Jesus wants all Christians to, to be in us so that then, to, to, to be in him and he in them so that then they can go out in the world and the world will look at these people who have the triune God living in them and they're living in unity and they'll say, what in the world is going on? I don't see that anywhere and I have no idea who these crazy people are. How can they be so loving? How can they be so gracious? How can they be so merciful? How can they be so unified? Well, they're all in God. And God is in them. And Jesus is saying that that's sort of what you would call an apologetic to the world. Why should the world believe a church that fights and argues and wars with one another? They have n- if God lives in them, why would they even listen? They're like, that's not the God I want. That's not the God that I read in the scriptures. So it means... This unity means a unified in mind, effort, and purpose. In other words, that we would act as if we were one person, one body, one spiritual whole. Do you understand that? A church that's functioning properly will be operating as if they are one. One mission, one vision, one purpose. And all the people will be walking in that. That is what Jesus is praying for. 
You see, the world needs a tangible example of us being found in the Father and the Son. The way that the world sees a tangible example of us being in the Father and the Son is when we live as one people, unified in Jesus Christ. And so, when we are united in faith and we present a common picture to the world, do you know what we display? We display the power of God. Show me a community that walks in harmony in adversity. They don't exist in the world because people fight and they war when things go wrong and when one person wants something that another person has. People fight and war and they grasp at workplaces. They try to be the boss. They try to climb the ladder. They try to get hired of one another. But that doesn't exist in the church because we're all one in Christ Jesus. So, the reality of this is that this is our witness, the unity, the unity that we have in the Father and in the Son. But how do we live united like this? Isn't this like really hard or impossible? Well, it's hard, yes. And so this is why Jesus says, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. You see, the unity of the Father and the Son is the unity of mutually indwelling one each other. So the unity of believers consists in the mutual indwelling of each believer with the Father, Son, and Spirit. And so do, can you see it? If the Father, Son, and Spirit live in each believer, they aren't divided, are they? Is God divided? Does He war with one another? No. Neither do those who walk in the Spirit. And this is why Paul says, walk in the Spirit, in the spirit not following the, the lusts of the flesh. And so, what we see is this mutual indwelling, which is why we read John 15. What did it say? Abide in me, and my words in you. And then, do you know what he said in that passage? He said, if you don't abide in me, without me you can do Nothing. So a church that's supposed to be united in Jesus Christ, if they are not abiding in Christ, can they do anything? No. Individually, you can't. Especially not corporately, as you you can't, because you'll always be fighting. But if you're abiding in Christ, you won't fight, you won't war. This is why the apostle all the time says, stop warring and fighting and bickering with one another. Walk in Christ. Live out the reality of the triune God who does not fight with himself. And so, without a vital relationship with the vine Jesus, we cannot hope to live out this prayer. We cannot hope to live out our mission of making disciples of the nations. But don't lose heart, though. It might seem impossible, but we can have confidence because Jesus prayed this prayer for us. Jesus prayed this prayer that we would be one for us. For this body. Do you know that? This is why we can walk forward in confidence. Because Jesus prayed. Jesus, the will of Jesus, always gets answered. So our job is to align with him. Now, this is all to the glory of Christ. And so what you see here is, verse 22, as it continues, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. See, the reality that that you say, well, being one seems impossible, but Jesus brings a picture of 
by asking for the glory that, that he was given by the Father to be given to us. Now you're like, what in the world does that mean? See, Jesus gives us hope and help so that we can live in unity. Jesus says that just as the Father has given glory to Jesus, so Jesus has given glory to his people so that they might be one just as the Father and the Son are one. So the answer to how we can be unified is the glory that Christ has given us. And now you say, wait a minute, what glory has Christ given us? Verse 24 seems to point toward the glory of Jesus as being the special object of the Father's love. Let me just read that moment. It says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. And so what I think is going on here is that Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, gave this same glory to the disciples and all his children that they are also the objects of the Father's love. See, they have truly been adopted into the same family, true children of God, legitimate sons and daughters of God who share in that infinite love. You see, we receive the glory of being brought into the family. Now, we know this whole thing about glory to be true. Uh, imagine the child of the well, one of the wealthiest person in the world, okay? And they have a certain amount of glory, don't they? They go around, you know, they might have a really nice car, so when they turn 16, they might get a Lamborghini, whereas somebody else might get, you know, just a Chevy or something, right? And the reality is, is, is that these rich, the rich father who has all the money in the world, lavishes upon his children, and there is an implicit glory of being in that. That's, I think, what we're talking about. That child is loved and privileged and honored because of the name of his or her father. And you all are in the name of the father who created the universe, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, you have been brought into that and share in that glory. You are loved by the creator and sustainer of the world who loves us with the same love as he, the father, loves the son. So I want you to get this. And say in your mind right now, say to yourself, the Father loves me. The Father loves me. Verse 23 continues, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Got goosebumps. Jesus wants the world to know that you are loved with the exact same love that the Father loved Jesus. Boom! It's mind-blowing. The infinite God, the Father, who loves His Son, who never did anything wrong, and who always pleased the Lord, that love is the love that the Father loves you with? I didn't make that up. Jesus prayed it. 
That is yours, brothers and sisters. You are loved by the Father with that infinite love. It's all yours in Christ. He's praying that we would know what it means to share in that love that the Father and the Son are one with. This is so important that Jesus repeats it again in his prayer to the Father and expands on its implications. And yet now, it's not only that we are in the Father and the Son, verse 21, but it is Jesus in us and the Father in Jesus. And so both the Father and the Son are in us, his children. This union is what makes us as Christians live as one, isn't it? And it is this that shows the world that the Father sent the Son and that God's children are loved by the Father just as much as the Father loved Jesus. In other words, it shows the world that Jesus makes his people his true children who are loved with an eternal, infinite, and powerful love. And since the Father is in Jesus and Jesus is in his people, they are truly joined together in one because the Father and the Son are with every believer. And we know that the Spirit is in us as well. The Trinity lives in you. You are not God, but God lives in you. And this God loves you infinitely. There's no need to try to get love from other places. There's no need to try to get love and accolades at work. If you're struggling, there's no need for you with your kids. There's no need for your kids to tell you how much they love you. If they don't for a long period of time, it's okay. You don't need that love. You have the love of the infinite God for you. You don't seek it at work. You don't have to seek it at home. You don't have to seek it with your friends. You don't have to try to suck it from everybody who's around you. You have it. It's yours. What would impress unbelievers more than large churches, superb music, and well-oiled worship services? God. God. Living in us. Present with us active and showing how we love one another, that is what will impress the world, not shows. That's why Paul, in 1 Corinthians, he says, chapter 2, he's like, you know, I came preaching not with eloquent words and not with the wisdom of man because I don't want your faith to be in that. I want your faith to be in the wisdom and power of God. That is why Paul says, I don't put myself forward. For Paul, it wasn't about this great show because he knew that Jesus Christ lived in him the hope of glory. And so a life of loving union with he and the Father in the Spirit as well as with one another as a united community experienced and manifesting the fact that we love each other and we are loved by the Father and the Son, that is what the world needs to see. But here's where it even gets better. Okay, you're like, how can it get better? Because Jesus wants you to be with him. Jesus wants me to be with him. Listen to this, right? Before I read verse 24, have you ever had someone call or write you a letter and tell you that they couldn't wait to see you? 
How did that make you feel? Loved, right? Guess what Jesus does? He basically says the same thing. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus says, I want you to be with me. That's pretty cool. If that doesn't impress you, if that doesn't lead you to worship, you need to check your heart. Jesus wants you. He didn't die for you to just leave you like some pity thing. He loved you. He set his love on you. Not for anything in you, but because he wanted to set his love on you. That's what you have. And now Jesus is saying, come, I want you to be with me. And he prays that to the Father. God's children Jesus wants the Father's children, us, to be with him in glory, to see his glory. So they might see, he said, the glory that was before, his pre-existent glory. Theologians call this the effulgence, the radiance of God. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. In his, purest, in his pure form, that's all we know. He's just pure light, a spirit. But Jesus Christ has a body, and somehow he's going to take, in that body, he's going to reveal to us, even in that body, his pre-existent glory when we see his face. Theologians call that the beatific vision. It's that vision when you look at Jesus, and you see his face, and all your sin, all the evil in you is washed out in an instant. With all, because of all his glory washing over you. We will not see Christ's full glory until we see him face to face. But in the present, we participate in the glory of Christ because he and the Father live in us and we know and can experience the love of the Father and Son that is beyond our comprehension. And so as we are in Christ, we share with Christ the delight of being loved by the Father. And so we also share in the glory which the Son receives at his ultimate exaltation. When Jesus returns to heaven, he returns to that eternal love which he has always known, but which was veiled while he was on earth. And Jesus wants us to come and experience the fullness and completeness of his love, being able to see firsthand his glory. Right now, we can read it in the scriptures. But one day, faith shall become sight. In the blink of an eye, we will see Jesus in all of his glory and worship him more and better than you've ever worshipped him before. And why? Why does he want us to be with him? Because he loves us. And as Jesus longed to return to his father because he, because he, uh, the, fa- the father longed for him to return to his side, so Jesus wants us to be with him. And so we, but, but here's the thing, we still have work to do. So if you're not dead yet, but you're not right now, if you're hearing me, you have work to do. So Jesus has a mission for you. Your mission is to tell everybody else about this Jesus who lives in you, the hope of glory, to go make disciples, teaching them to observe, baptizing them, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and he will be with you to the end. Why why does he say in the Great Commission he'll be with you? Because he's trying to help you see the prayer that he already prayed in John 17. So, I want us to to, to think about that. Like, we are ambassadors who are seeking the lost 
That's our work. Seek the lost. They need to see that glory, the glory of Christ. So, verse 25, it continues, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. So Jesus expresses here to his righteous or just Father that though the world doesn't know him, we and the disciples have come to know that Jesus was sent by the Father. So this is the reality. True Christians know that Jesus came in the flesh. That he truly lived that he truly died, that he was raised again, that he was the Son of God, and that he's returning again to judge the living and the dead. That's what Jesus is saying. They know me. They know the Father through me. They know that Jesus was sent. And that was a theme in John. John 20 talks about it. He basically says, this book was written so that you might believe and have life in his name. So Jesus is distinguishing between those who the Father has given him his people who receive him, and those who are hostile to him and reject him. To those who did receive him, he's already asked the Father that they would be with him in glory. And so two groups stand before the Father. One group rejects Jesus and is outside of God's love and will experience his justice. And the other, uh, because and the reason they don't is because they don't know Jesus, because they can't know the Father, because they only know the Father through Jesus. The other group is in the Father's love, will experience the joy of his love and the wonder of seeing Jesus glorified because they know Jesus, the only one who truly knows the Father. The only one who knows the Father is Jesus. In Jesus, you can know the Father, and the Father knows you. But apart from Jesus, you can't. So Jesus continues in verse 26. This is knowing the name, love, and presence of Jesus. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So two things are going to be in us. The love of God to us and Jesus. Right Now we know that Jesus and Father, Father's in Jesus, Jesus and the Father, so the Father's in us. But he's really getting at this, drawing out this point of love, that we are loved with that kind of love. So Jesus continues to make the Father's name known. In other words, there is an ongoing revelation of the Father through the person and work of the gospel that is preached through the message of the death, life, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. The point or purpose of this revelation is that the love with which the Father loved Jesus from eternity would be in us, God's children, and Jesus would be in us as well. Now, here's a conclusion, and then I'm going to draw a consequence. So you can summarize this whole, the whole thing like this. Before the world began, Jesus the Son was the object of the Father's special love. And now, because of what Jesus did on the cross, he's asking his Father that we would be the object of the Father's love. Infinite love of God the Father to the Son is now yours and mine. We are loved by the Father and the Son with the same love that they love one another with. And I know, if you've been a Christian for a while, That sounds ludicrous. How could the Father love me with the exact same love of the Son? I don't know. He just says it. I I was reading what the Bible says. That's what it says. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. That love is yours. You just have to believe it. It can be fanciful to your mind. But you still have to believe it because God said it. You have to trust it. You're loved with that kind of love. 
So what we've seen in this series and in today's sermon is that God's people are truly full-fledged children of God because of our union with Christ. We are not strangers and somehow like kids that are like, stay out of sight. I, you know, you're a kid, you're my kid, but you embarrass me. That's not the way that God actually sees us. We are truly God's children. And because of this, we are allowed access to the pantry, the fridge, the car, and all the other things that children, older children, are allowed to have and others aren't. Through Christ, we are able to go right up to our Father at any time, knowing that he listens to us, knowing that he hears us. We are truly God's children because of this. We know that the Father has love and affection for us. We always have the Father's attention. Do you know that? You ever, you ever seen where kids are looking for the attention of their father or mother, and they're just like, ah, oh, see me, notice me? You don't have to do that. You have God's attention all the time. All the time. He cares for us as a child. He clothes us. He protects us. And he provides exactly what we need in our current circumstances. And because we are children in the Son, sharing the sonship of Christ, we get to go into the presence crying out, Dearest Father, and receive from him whatever is necessary for our support and comfort. And I quoted this last week, but I'm going to say it again. Instead of feeling like a servant, the child of God can rush, like Luther said, into the presence of his father, leap into his lap, and nestle in his bosom. Do you feel that? Do you know that love? That you can run up into your father's lap and jump in, and he's got his arms around you. Do you know that love? That love is what you have in Christ. That kind of love. And if you don't believe that, you've been sold a bill of goods by Satan because he doesn't want you to know that you're loved with that intense of love. You are perfectly and infinitely loved in Jesus Christ. God's people are loved by the Father with the same love that the Father loves the Son, so we are not orphans. We are children of the living God. We are loved with a love so deep, so high, and so wide, and so long, that you need a prayer in order to be able to understand it. Paul has to pray that you would understand it. You have to pray that you would understand it. I have to pray that I would understand it because that love is not comprehensible by the flesh, only by the Spirit. And so you need spiritual power to understand God's love for you. And because of this, you should understand and believe that the Father is a perfect, all-powerful Father who will not withhold any good gifts from you, his children. And rather, he makes all things happen for our good. He has promised strength and power and wisdom to help us through the Spirit. And even as he grows us and encourages us through trials and tribulations, we must remember not simply who we are. You must remember whose you are. You see, it's not about who you are. It's about whose you are. And so, this understanding of adoption and sonship should give us encouragement, direction, and hope in a world that tries to find worth and value in what they do and not in whose they are. And so, we don't have to make jokes and make people laugh to keep them from feeling worthless. Instead, 
we remind them whose they are and how they are loved with the same love that the Father has toward the Son and the Son has toward the Father. How will you remind yourself and others about who you are in Christ? Whose you are. And will you also make it a point to tell others about this incredible message of hope and joy in Christ? You see, if you've got such a great message, you going to hide it? Keep it for yourself. Or are you going to go and tell the world that in Christ, They're loved with a perfect and infinite love. Glorious Father, we praise you. We delight in you. And we are asking that you would give us the spiritual wisdom and understanding that we might know the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ to us, toward us. And we would be filled with the fullness of you, O God. So we pray, we seek you, we seek your face and ask that you would make each and every one of us to know and understand this great love with which you have loved us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, the one who prayed these prayers for us. Amen.